0: Turn in your Bibles to Mark 15, Mark 15 verses 42 to 47 is our text for today. The plan is that next week we'll look at Mark 16, 1 through 8, and then be done with the gospel of Mark. The words that come after it in your Bible are not words that were in the original manuscripts, not in the original Scriptures, but have been added by the church some helpful words there, and so uh, two weeks from now, Lord willing, Dr. Peter Gurry from Phoenix Seminary will be here to make sense of those words for you and to help you understand a little bit more about how the Bible was formulated, uh, how the church recognized the canon, didn't make the canon, God made the canon. We simply recognize the canon, so I think you'll be helped by that time. But as of now, we've got two more messages in the Gospel of Mark today and, Lord willing, next Sunday. Mark 15, 42 to 47, we're in this series where we're looking at the death of the king, kingly languages all over this chapter, Mark 15. And here we learn that Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of the council looking for the kingdom of God in verse 43. So Christ being king, king of Israel, king of everything is what is noted a number of times in the gospel of Mark chapter 15. But for our sake, this morning, just verses 42 to 47, so follow along as I read. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who is also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid." I've entitled this message, Following Jesus on the Darkest Day. Following Jesus on the Darkest Day. Two of our songs that we sang a little bit earlier talk about dark days, dark times. Well, in human history, if there was ever a dark time, it would be this day. It was literally dark from 12 to 3. We saw that last week. And here, just the the mood of this time when Jesus is now dead would have been dark. If you and I were to go on a short-term ministry trip to see uh, our missionary friends in Rome, Jordan and Jenny Standridge, they may uh, bring us to a museum in Rome. Maybe they'll do this one day, who knows? Jordan and Jenny, if you're listening to this, maybe this isn't our future, I don't know. But if we went on an STM to Rome, maybe Jordan and Jenny would bring us to the museum that's on the Palatine Hill there in Rome if we did go to that museum, you'd see something on the first floor, which is the second floor in Europe. Don't ask me why, but it's the second floor. You'd see something on that first floor. You'd see a stone image that was once a wall, but has now since been brought to the museum. Be a stone image, and it'd have carved into it a man hanging on a cross. But you'd notice something different about this man hanging on the cross. You'd notice that his head is the head of a donkey. This was something that was engraved uh, around 200 A.D. in Rome on a wall that's since been brought to this museum. And the man on the cross with the donkey head wasn't the only person in the image. There's also a man just next to the cross, evidently uh, worshiping the man on the cross and the wording in Greek says alexamenos, which is the man who's worshiping the man on the cross with the donkey head, alexamenos worships his God. It's a mockery of Christianity. Christians worship a man on a cross. How foolish, hence the donkey head. It's not just the early centuries that make fun of Christianity and Christians and Christ. The atheist comedian Sarah Silverman said, I hope the Jews did kill Jesus. I'd do it again in a second. So you see, whether you go to Rome, you see mockery of Jesus, or whether you go to a comedy club in the United States, you can hear mockery of Jesus. Jesus, as we looked at earlier in Mark, was mocked on the cross. Again, I told you then, Mark doesn't spend a lot of time talking about Jesus' physical sufferings, the depth of those. He talks a lot about him being mocked. So, we follow a Savior that's been mocked, and we also, the people of the cross, have been mocked as well. It's been true of Christians throughout their history, from Acts 2 and beyond. Christians who are mocked And made fun of because we worship a Savior who died on a cross like a criminal. And Christians together for 2000 years have said, yes, we do worship that Christ who was on the cross. We worship Him because we know what He did on that cross, and we also worship Him because we know the end of the story. We know that He has been raised and He's overcome the grave. So, when Christians are mocked today, they're in good company. They're in the company of the apostles. They're in the company, even if you will, of the prophets who went before them. They're in the company of Christ, who himself was mocked. So we're used to being mocked. We're used to being called fools. We're used to that. But when Mark shows us in our passage today, this paragraph, is he shows us a few of the followers of Jesus. I mean, he's already detailed for us the disciples left and fled. But he sprinkled in these accounts, after Jesus has died, about a few faithful followers, Joseph of Arimathea and two women. Mark does this all throughout his gospel. You would think in the gospel of Mark… if you were just picking up this gospel for the first time, if you, were just, if you knew something about Greco-Roman culture in the first century but didn't know much of Christianity and you were reading through this gospel, you'd hear Jesus in chapter 1 calling some followers and you would think, okay, these followers are going to be shown as, as faithful and dependable and they learn from the master. Well, not in the gospel of Mark. Jesus calls the disciples in Mark chapter 1 and then there are so many low points because of the disciples. The disciples demonstrate a lack of faith, a lack of prayer, pride. They, they display spiritual infighting, all sorts of low points in the life of the disciples, lives of the disciples in the gospel of Mark. You would expect if you knew something about first century culture, especially in Jerusalem, you'd think the chief priests and scribes and elders, the Sanhedrin, you'd think that they would have some sort of positive um, response to Jesus. Well, no, they don't either. Really, the faithful ones sprinkled throughout the gospel of Mark are, of course, Jesus Himself. But the faithful ones are are, are often people you wouldn't think of as faithful. Let me just remind you of some of the people we've learned about. In Mark 5, we learned about a woman who was bleeding, a woman who people would have avoided. And there's a crowd following Jesus, and this, this woman inserts herself into the crowd she's been had an internal bleeding for many years and jesus as she's calling out to him or as she touches his garment even and as a lot of people are touching him as he's in this crowd as she touches his garment he notices there's a faith in him that she's demonstrating he notices her she's kind of held up before us as a good example of someone who uh, amidst all sorts of difficult circumstances, goes to Jesus. In that same account, there, there's, it goes from the lady to another man in Mark chapter 5, and we know his name. His name is Jairus, and he's got a daughter who's dying. And he, a Roman, a Gentile, goes to this Jewish Savior, at least the man that he, he, he understands to be someone who's been healing people, he goes to this Jewish Savior and asks for help. And Jesus heals his daughter from a distance. But you see a woman bleeding as an example. You see a a Gentile going to Jesus as an example of faith. And then we remember Bartimaeus, right, as Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem. We remember Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Bartimaeus, this blind man, blind people were looked down upon. Either they sinned or their parents sinned. Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus and the people around, including some of Jesus' disciples, tell him to shut up. Does Bartimaeus shut up? No, he doesn't. He cries out again. He cries out again to Jesus, and Jesus responds, heals the man, and Bartimaeus says, I want to follow you, and Bartimaeus makes Jesus' way, his new way. We see this, this blind man being held up as an example to us. Earlier in Mark also in chapter 14, we hear of the, a meal where there are evidently Pharisees Uh, around and there's uh, the disciples that are at this meal. There's this banquet and Jesus is at it and a woman comes and takes a year's worth of uh, wages uh, of perfume and, and pours it on the head of Jesus. And she's dismissed by even the disciples. Again, low point for the disciples. And Jesus says these great words, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing. And he even memorializes this woman so all throughout Mark, I want you to remember, we've, we've been seeing people who you normally not think much of rise in front of us as Mark holds them in front of us and says, look at, look at faithfulness here. Look at following Jesus here. Look at trusting Jesus here. And here in this passage, we see two more examples of that. Two examples of commitment to Christ on the darkest of days. There's something different about the commitments that we learn about here, the people we learn about here. Because In Mark 14, Jesus is the main guest, the guest of honor at a banquet. When Jesus is about to march into Jerusalem and he's in Jericho, Bartimaeus hears of him and and there's a crowd following Jesus. He's popular and Bartimaeus cries out. Here, Jesus is literally dead and we learn that there are still people following him. Two examples of commitment to Christ on the darkest of days. And let me say this right from the beginning. You may right now be in a dark day. I'm a pastor of this church. I know there's a lot of darkness going on. There are a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles. Our elders know it. You know it. This is a time of struggle for people in this body. And I think it's very helpful for us to see followers of Jesus, when He's literally dead, still committed to Him. And then we're going to see next week. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. So we know more than they even do. So I'm praying that today, maybe maybe in a dark moment, based on where you're at, maybe, maybe there's a crack in the wall and light shines through. There's some hope today. That's my prayer today. So if you're in a dark time, dark moment, difficult situation, situation where you feel hopeless, know that, Based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're not hopeless. Actually, Peter says that we're born again to a living hope. One of the things that happens when you become a Christian, when you're born again, you've got something that you hope in that is true, whereas before, there wasn't anything lasting to hope in. So, here's the first example of commitment on this dark day. Verses 42 to 46 show us courage despite past cowardice. Courage despite past cowardice. We're talking about Joseph of Arimathea here. He displays courage. We learn that in verse 43. It literally says that he took courage and went to Pilate. This is significant. We'll talk about why in a moment. But we're seeing here in these verses, 42 to 46, courage despite past cowardice. He was afraid before. Now he's emboldened, he's courageous. Verse 42, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Mark gives us the timing here. He wants us to know that it's the evening. This is Friday evening. So remember, Jesus was on the cross. There was darkness on the cross. He died around 3 p.m. Evening would have been somewhere between 3 and 6, 3 and 6 p.m. Jesus had to be taken down before evening. It was a Sabbath rule. This actually comes from Deuteronomy twenty-one, twenty-three. If someone is, is hung, hanged on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. So, the Jews knew that if someone was executed on a tree, Deuteronomy 21 was written well before crucifixion, but if a man was hanged on a tree or somehow executed on a tree, they had to take His body down before sundown or the land would be cursed. You don't want dead bodies corrupting your land. So, the Jews, it was, for the Jews, it was important to take Jesus off of the cross. He died. He needs to be taken off of the cross before sundown, before sundown, which would signify the Sabbath the next day, Saturday. So, they've got to take Him down before sundown. There's another reason He had to be taken down before sundown. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 12 that in His death there would be a sign given. It was a sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man was going to be buried for three days. Jesus has to be buried for at least a portion of Friday for that to be one day. Again, to the Jews, A day wasn't considered 24 hours, a 24-hour period. They would count any part of a day as a day. So from Friday to Sunday was three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Even if it was just a little sliver of Friday, that's one day. That's one day. Saturday, two days. Sunday, three days. Then he was resurrected Sunday morning. So Jesus has to be buried by sundown Friday night. But that's the timing, and it's important. But then we learn about this man. Verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph from Arimathea, a respected member of the council. What council? The Sanhedrin. Now, right now, we're used to the Bible. Some of you have been Christians for decades. Okay, Joseph of Arimathea, member of the council, big deal, keep going. No, stop. Joseph of Arimathea is a member of the Sanhedrin. Do you remember what we know about the Sanhedrin? Do you remember what they did most recently in the Gospel of Mark? They got Rome to see that Jesus was a criminal, and they got Rome to crucify Jesus. That's that's the Sanhedrin. That's the council. And Joseph is one of those. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was himself looking for the kingdom of God. He was looking for a time when God would be physically present in Israel and rule Israel, and r- Israel would rule the world. God would rule the world through Israel's ruling. He's looking for the kingdom of God to come. When are we going to get rid of the Romans and the Gentiles? When, when are people around the world going to worship the one true and living God? He's looking for that. And apparently, at some time, he believed Jesus to be the one that would bring that about. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph, Matthew tells us he was rich. Matthew tells us he was a disciple of Jesus. John tells us that he was secretly a disciple of Jesus. So now you can kind of see how he was part of the Sanhedrin but still a follower of Jesus. He was secretly a disciple and we ask the question, is that allowed by Jesus? I mean, doesn't, have this to be, doesn't this have to be public? Well, it would be, and that's what Mark is trying to show us. He here took courage and went to Pilate. So we understand when John tells us that he was secretly a disciple, and evidently he had nothing to do with the vote on whether Jesus was guilty when the Sanhedrin took that vote. He was secretly a disciple, but Mark here tells us that now he took courage. This is the moment right here, Mark 15, 43, where Joseph of Arimathea goes public, if you will, with his faith. And it's interesting timing. He took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Luke tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the council who did not consent to Christ's death. So, he was a disciple at the moment they took that vote, but he didn't consent to the death of Jesus, but here he takes courage, goes to Pilate. This is where his following of Jesus becomes more public, and we're made to know that by what Mark has told us. I want to highlight the fact that this is the time Joseph of Arimathea became a public follower of Christ, and that is rather interesting to me. He doesn't do it when the Sanhedrin's there, And they're about to turn Jesus over to the Romans. He doesn't speak up and say, Hold on a second, hear me out for a moment. He doesn't do it then. He's quiet. But isn't it interesting? He he takes courage and goes to Pilate, which the Sanhedrin would have found out about eventually. He does it when Jesus is dead. It's almost as if the Sanhedrin is winning, they've won. We've 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 got him executed. The Romans executed him. He's dead now. Why would Joseph then go and say he was a public follower of Christ, or go and demonstrate that he was a public follower of Christ? It doesn't make sense. I mean, you could see Joseph Arimathea around the cross, kind of you know wringing his hands like, "Come down, Jesus," and then when you come down and prove that you can come down and have power, then I'll say I'm with him. It's after he dies that he's willing to be identified with Jesus. Mark's been showing us all throughout his gospel, the Son of Man is gonna die, and his followers, his disciples don't get it. And throughout Mark's gospel, he indicates to them, and oh, by the way, my suffering and my death, you're gonna follow, you're gonna follow that. I'm gonna suffer, you're gonna suffer. I'll be raised to glory, you'll be raised to glory. So Mark has shown us that not only is the Son of Man going to suffer, but his followers are going to suffer too. And here we get a picture of a man. When Jesus has suffered to the utmost, when Jesus has been executed, we see someone still following him. Fascinating that now is the time Joseph of Arimathea is willing to be known as a follower of Jesus when Jesus is dead. He asks for the body. The Romans didn't value the the body of a deceased person like the Jews did and like, like Christians do today. The Romans didn't value the, a body, especially one that had been crucified. Many of them were buried in open graves, just chucked into a giant hole. But if a family member or close relative would appeal to Rome for the body, they would often be, be, have it granted to them. So here, Joseph of Arimathea goes. Peter didn't go and ask for the body. No disciple went and asked for the body. Joseph of a respected member of the council, went. He took courage. He was brave. He demonstrated bravery, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. See, the body has dignity. The Bible teaches this. The Jews have known this, Christians know this. The body has dignity, and Joseph of Arimathea knew that, and he was going to take care of the body, even though dead, the body of his master, his rabbi, his teacher. Verse 44 Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. A lot of times, crucifixion would last for at least a day or more, but Jesus died rather quickly. Probably goes to show you a few things. It goes to show you how severe the beatings of Jesus were. The more severe the beatings, the quicker the death would happen on the cross. So the more severe the beatings before the cross, the quicker the death would happen on the cross. Probably speaks to the severity of the beatings. But also, like I told you earlier, the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus has to be executed and in a grave on Friday night. And he is. Before sundown Friday, I should say. So, he goes, and Pilate's surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, the one presiding over the crucifixion, maybe the same centurion from last week's passage, asked him whether he was already dead. And we learn again from the other gospel accounts that they made sure that Jesus was dead. Go and look in history books. You won't find accounts of people surviving crucifixion. Didn't happen. They know he's dead. They've proven that he's dead. Shoved a spear into his heart. They they can prove that he's dead. And when he Pilate learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse, no longer the body. Earlier in the passage, we learned that he went to Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now there's a different Greek word. He granted the corpse. Jesus is dead. The centurion knows it. Joseph of Arimathea knows it. He's dead. The ladies will know it, who are looking on. That we learn about in forty-seven. He's dead. Jesus is dead. Totally dead no heartbeat, not coming back from this one. Well, we'll see. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Verse 46, and Joseph bought a linen shroud. Look at what Joseph does now. He's been granted the corpse of Jesus. He buys a linen shroud, which would have cost a lot of money. And again, we learn in Matthew that this man's wealthy. Why is that important? because the Scriptures prophesied that Jesus would be buried in the tomb of a rich man, fulfilling Scripture all over the place, even while dead. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. I want you to think about what's happening here. John, the Gospel writer, also tells us that Nicodemus, remember the one from John 3, the teacher of Israel, one of the Pharisees, (laughs) Nicodemus also had become a follower of his, and he was there present, and he was helping Joseph of Arimathea. Mark's just showing us one of the men who've been converted, and here evidently Nicodemus is helping him as well, but we learn of Joseph of Arimathea. So, he buys a linen shroud, taking him down, probably had help from Nicodemus. We know that Jesus would have been executed uh, up high, so Joseph would have somehow found a ladder or some sort of thing to, to get up on this ladder. He would have had to take this dead hanging body off of the cross. I mean, this isn't just, you know, someone, someone at the funeral home did it for him. He's doing all this. This man, a member of the council, would have had to go and take the, the spike out of the feet first and then go and take the spikes out of the, the hands next, maybe on the ladder, maybe then the body would kind of drape over him, blood all over his clothes, a dead body just hanging on him. I mean, if we were there, how many of us wouldn't do this? We'd do this for our Lord. But here's Joseph doing it, one of our brothers who will meet one day. Joseph's doing this. The dead corpse of Jesus hanging on him together with Nicodemus, they take him and they bring him, we know to a garden tomb, and we know also that it was a tomb that was close to the crucifixion site. So, Joseph buys a linen shroud, takes him down from the cross. Again, think of the difficulty of that, the the weight of that hanging on him, the blood, all, all of it. This isn't sanitized. Taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud. So, he wraps him up in this fine linen, lays him in a tomb. We know that this was his tomb that had been cut out from the rock. We also know that this was a tomb where no dead body had been in yet. This is a new tomb, if you will, a tomb where multiple people could be buried. That's how the Jews did it in that day, uh, carved from a rock, carved from into a cave where multiple people could be buried, tomb cut out of a rock. And so they wrap up Jesus. They take him down from the cross and bring him over somehow, maybe carrying him, two guys carrying a dead body after being wrapped up, bring him to the stone tomb. Most likely would have been a low entrance. This is how most of these tombs were. These caves were low entrance that you ducked in, and then it kind of raised up a little bit, maybe a shelf over here where they'd put Jesus. Something to that effect is what we've seen in first century tombs. So, he's wrapped up in linen, placed in this tomb, and then he rolls a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Most likely, so if you picture this is the entrance of the tomb, or let me do it this way, can everyone see I don't know okay, okay, we'll do it this way Here's the entrance of the tomb. There was a, a large, large, heavy stone that that multiple people could could move, but it not just anyone could move it. it was difficult and what was more difficult is that they would they would it would kind of be on a little bit of a hill so to to get into the tomb, you would have to roll it uphill up a little kind of track uphill and have it rest up there this was it was meant to be difficult in the heart why because there were grave robbers also there were wild animals so you wanted to protect the the corpse the body of your deceased loved one you didn't want anyone to be able to get in but the, you could with multiple people move the stone so you can come and anoint the body with spices like the ladies were going to do the two days later on sunday so you still could it wasn't like it was finally closed No, it could be opened again. We know that Pilate was so concerned about Jesus' body being stolen that he he told two guards to go and make it as secure as they could. Ha, 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 okay? (laughs) Not going to work, Pilate, sorry. But we know that there were two guards that would have been stationed there later on. But right now, the work's being done. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus putting his body into the tomb and would have been making sure that the stone was there so no animals, grave robbers, could have got to it on their own. Again, Isaiah 53, 9. He was laid in the tomb of a rich man. Fulfilled prophecy. So I want you to see, I want you to know from this what I believe Mark wants you to see from this. He wants you to see courage from a follower of Christ. A a guy that, it doesn't really make sense to be following Jesus at this point. Before all the miracles, Galilee, absolutely, I'm with him. Coming into Jerusalem on the donkey, everyone's hailing him, I'm with him. And then he gets arrested, and what happens to the followers that we know about? They flee. Like flicking on a light switch and having the cockroaches flee, they flee. Jesus is betrayed, arrested, they're gone. And yet now he's dead. I mean, that's lower than being arrested. He's executed as a criminal. He's dead, and we see a follower step up, a follower of his, and we see the courage. Mark tells us it was courage. He took courage to do this. Dwight Moody said this about Joseph of Arimathea. He said, I consider this one of the most excellent, grandest acts that any man ever did. In the darkness and gloom, his disciples, having all forsaken him, Judas, having sold him for 30 pieces of silver, the chief apostle Peter, having denied him with a curse, swearing that he never knew him, the chief priest, having found him guilty of blasphemy, the council, having condemned him to death, and when there was a hiss going up to heaven from all over Jerusalem, Joseph went right against the current, right against the influence of all his friends, and begged for the body of Jesus. It is truly an excellent act, a faithful act. Now remember, Mark is writing to an audience. Mark's writing for a purpose. You know the audience. I've brought it up to you many times. Mark's writing to a first century audience under the Roman Empire, in the Roman Empire, who's being persecuted for their faith. And Mark wants them to think of Joseph of Arimathea. Think of this follower of Jesus, following him at a time that didn't make sense. You followers of Jesus, Mark could be saying, In this time, under Roman persecution, you know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. You can follow Jesus right now in your dark day. I think there's something to learn from us too. In your dark day, you know. Joseph didn't know yet. You know, Mark 16, you know that he's alive. You know that the darkness hasn't won You know that Satan hasn't won. You know that the enemies of Christ have not won. He was raised. He's been made alive again. Hebrews 7 says He's interceding for us. He prays for us. He's alive. He's preparing a home for us, Jesus told His disciples. He's going to return again. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come back, return for you. He prayed to his father, Father, I I want to be with them. I want them to see, I want them to be with you and I. I want them to see my glory. This, This isn't the end. Mark 15, 42 to 47 isn't the end. And the first readers of Mark would know this and be bolstered by this. We should read this and be bolstered by this. If Joseph of Arimathea can follow Jesus on that day, I can follow him on this day. Because I know what happened after this Friday evening. And Saturday, I know what happened on Sunday. The reason that we are in this church service right now on this day is because of hope, because he was resurrected on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, Sunday. There's hope for us. So I'd encourage you. Think of what Mark says about Joseph of Arimathea. This man took courage. May the Lord give us courage. In this day, I've been saying this to you for six years. There will be a day when the people in this nation, the Christians in this nation, are persecuted more than we are now, far more than we are now. And will, there will be, need to be courage to stand for Jesus. So ask the Lord for courage. We need more courage, even now. More courage. Today, Christians are scared to tell other people about salvation that they could have in Christ. Christians are scared. Today, there are Christian followers of Jesus who don't want to publicly be baptized because they're nervous to represent Him in public, to be in front of people. The Christian faith is a courageous faith. The Lord calls us to courage. He calls us to public baptism. He calls us to proclaim His excellencies. He ta- calls us to, to evangelize publicly. He calls us to even persecution. And I want you to take heart. Everything you need to be courageous, you have at your disposal. Second Peter 1, 3 says that we have everything we need for life and godliness. So if you're at all not courageous today for Christ, you can be. You've got his power at your disposal. Listen, read Acts 4. Acts 4, the followers of Jesus are are told to shut up or else you're going to be arrested. Don't keep speaking about this one. And they go back to the church and tell the church all that was told to them. They told us not to preach anymore. And right there, the church lifts up their voice and they pray to God. And what do they ask God for? a good lawyer to get them out of this situation, a good lawyer to kind of show Rome, no, we've got religious liberty. No, 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 the church asks for boldness. Lord, keep our mouths open. You know what the end of chapter four of Acts says? It says the Holy Spirit granted them boldness. This is a prayer the Lord loves to answer. Friends, Joseph of Arimathea is just like you and I. He was scared one day and then was given courage. As a follower of Christ. You have the same Holy Spirit of God that's available to you for courage. So whether it's courage in evangelism, courage under persecution, whatever you need, you can have courage. It's at your disposal. Ask the Lord for courage. Speak up for Christ. Stand for Christ. Students, students in school, some of you are are in school environments where there's hostility to Jesus, even in Christian schools sometimes. Take a stand, Commit yourself to the one who died and rose again. Because anybody lobbing any challenges, any threats, any mockings at you has to deal with the resurrected Lord one day. You stand with him. Take courage. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus taught this, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. There's something else I want you to get from Joseph of Arimathea, and I want you to get this. I want to remind you of this. Friends, people can change. Joseph of Arimathea was at one time a member of the Sanhedrin. He became a follower of Christ. If Joseph of Arimathea can change, your spouse can be changed to become a follower of Christ. Your child can be changed to become a follower of Christ. Your coworker can be changed to become a follower of Christ. People can change by the power of Christ. Joseph was. I've been changed if you're a Christian, you've been changed. So, let's not look at someone and think they'll never change. Let's not do that. The Lord changes people. All right, let's look at another example in the last verse here, another example of commitment on this dark day. Let's look at faithfulness despite current darkness. We see this in the ladies, verse 47, faithfulness despite current darkness. We were reminded of these ladies at the end of the last passage, right? Go back and look at verse 40. There were also, I love how Mark writes, oh, and by the way, Jesus has been forsaken by God on a cross, breathed his last, a centurion gets it, surely this was the Son of God. Oh, and also, don't, don't forget this, in a day when woman, women would be forgotten, don't forget this, there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome when he was in Galilee they followed him and ministered to him and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem so mark wants us to notice these people who were normally in that day and age not noticeable not noticeable not noticed but he's noticing these women he wants us to notice these women and it says that they were looking on from a distance look at verse 47 now Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Mark is showing you what these ladies see. They're looking on at his death, him on the cross, from a distance. Now they see Joseph, and again, we know the full story, Nicodemus also, they see Joseph taking his body down, bringing him to a tomb, and they're watching the whole thing. They've watched from the cross, they've watched to, to the, when the body of Jesus is taken to the tomb. They're watching this whole thing. And all we know about these ladies is that they're there watching. But in that, you see a faithfulness. Everyone else is gone. Mark even no- notes that for us. They've been following him. They were following him in Galilee. There are other ladies who've been following him from Galilee and now into Jerusalem. So they've been following him. They've been walking after him. They've been noticing him. They've been learning from him. Understand? They've been watching, and here they are. They see him die. They see him being taken to the tomb. And what are we going to see next week? They go to the tomb. They go to the tomb because they know where he is. They're watching that. there's There's a commitment from these ladies that's there. Again, Mark is used to showing us lady followers of Jesus who are faithful to him. The woman with the bleeding, the woman we know as Mary, but Mark doesn't give her a name, the woman who pours the expensive perfume on Jesus to anoint him for his burial. Mark notices these ladies in here two times, three times. Three times in this last little portion of his gospel, he highlights these ladies. They saw him on the cross. They saw him being taken to the tomb and in, verse six, in chapter 16 that we'll see next week, and they show up first to anoint his body for burial. He's, he, again, is taking some faithful followers of Jesus, and he wants you to notice them for a little bit. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. So they're watching the whole thing. I love what the NIV Application Bible says about these ladies and how it relates. Listen, listen to this paragraph. These women could do very little. They couldn't speak before the Sanhedrin in Jesus' defense. They couldn't appeal to Pilate. They couldn't stand against the crowds. They couldn't overpower the Roman guards. But they did what they could. They stayed at the cross when the disciples had fled. They followed Jesus' body to its tomb, and they, pre- and they prepared spices for His body. And then the writer says this, as believers, we should take advantage of the opportunities we have to do what we can for Christ instead of worrying about what we cannot do. Just a call, do what you can. These ladies are faithful. They're not standing up before the Sanhedrin. They're not, they're not overpowering crowds or guards. But they're with Jesus. Think about when someone is grieving or suffering and the beautiful ministry of just being with them. You don't have to say a word, don't have to, don't have to read them passages, you don't have to… You, just being there is a comfort. These, these ladies just want to be where Jesus is. He's on the cross dying, they can see. Now His body is a corpse, He's dead, but they still are there. We, th- we think of loved ones that we've lost, and we go to the cemetery. We just want to be where their bodies. We know that they're not, they aren't there anymore, but we're with the outer shell of them. We're, we just want to be there. There's something about that, something about that that screams love and faithfulness and remaining affection. That's these Ladies. And then they're going to go the next day and seek to anoint His body for burial, make sure it doesn't smell. They want to put the perfume, the spices there. These ladies love their Lord. And Mark's showing us these ladies. And again, this is a low point. This isn't these ladies smiling as Jesus of Nazareth brings up a little child and heals them and these ladies saying that's our Lord he's dead and they're still committed to him they follow him in Galilee during the high moments and they follow him here outside of the city walls of Jerusalem in the lowest moment we follow Jesus in high moments your daughter becomes a Christian praise God Thank you, God. We adore you, God. But we can also follow Jesus in the low moments when your daughter tells you that she rejects Christ or your son does. You can still trust God. Follow God. You can follow God when you get the dream job or when you're having trouble getting any job. You can follow Christ when you feel loved by so many people, and you can follow Christ when you don't feel loved by anybody. You can follow Christ when life is wonderful, and you can follow Christ when your life feels like a disappointment. The Christian life is full of dark days, but the light of the world still remains worth following. The Christian life is full of dark days, but the light of the world is still worth following. I want you to remember we're a people of the end of the story. We're a people of the resurrection. We're not a people of just the cross only. We're a people of the cross and the empty tomb. I want you to think about the history of God's people. He he redeemed them from the slavery in Egypt, and they get up to a sea with their enemies coming behind them. We've got nowhere to go. This is a dark day. And he splits the sea. That's our God. Abraham... I'll follow you, God. I'll follow you. Sacrifice your son. Abraham, following him on that dark day, seems to be the end, but God makes a substitute. The ram takes the place of the son. You might not be able to see the light right now, and it might be darkness right now, but we're a people who follow the man who called himself the light of the world and the man who's alive today. So, in whatever darkness you have, I'm praying hard for you, praying hard for you that you could see some light. Maybe it's in Mark 16, maybe it's in some other passage of Scripture. We are people who follow our Lord in low points and ultimately in the highest point. I'll remind you what Jesus said to the disciples three different places earlier in the Gospel of Mark. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, low point, point. and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, low point, high point. Mark 9.31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him, low point, point. and when he's killed after three days, he will rise, high point. 10.33, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So the Jews are gonna finally have their way with him. The Romans will find, the Jew and Gentile all against him. The nations are raging, Psalm 2. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. There's dark days for you. And after three days, he will rise. There's the high point. So Jesus has been testifying to both, the low points and the high points. Jesus Christ, your master, your Lord, your teacher, is not surprised that you're going through trials. He's not bringing you into a trial to leave you there. He, God the Father, did that to His Son so that His Son would die for us. He's bringing you through a trial to to burn off all the dross and to help you find your all in Him, and He will bring you out of that into glory. That is His promise over and over and over again. I'm praying you believe that today. So these women and Joseph are to be commended. These women and Joseph are to be commended. I would say they are to be imitated. Follow them as they follow Christ. But I want to make this very clear at the very end. The women and Joseph are not the heroes of the story. They may be the main focus of this passage, but the hero of the story, the hero of the gospel of Mark is Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man. I told you earlier, I, I rehearsed for you earlier how Jesus was approached by unlikely followers who demonstrated this great faith, and you're meant to see from Mark, look at the faith of this woman with this bleeding. Look at the faith of Jairus. Look at the faith of Bartimaeus. Look at the faith of this one who poured the year's worth of wages of perfume onto Jesus. Look at the faith of these people. Look at the faith of Joseph of Marthia. Notice his courage. Look at the faith of these two ladies who still are tracking with Jesus where he's at, and they'll go and anoint his body. Look at their faith, but hold on. Notice their faith, but worship the one that they have faith in. Because listen to all those accounts again. The woman with the bleeding came to Jesus, and guess what happened? He healed her. Jairus came to Jesus. I need you to heal my daughter. Jesus healed his daughter. Jesus is the hero. Blind Bartimaeus cried out to the son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do for you? Restore my sight. Jesus heals the blind man, which only Messiah could do according to the Old Testament. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one with the power. He's also the one with compassion. Jesus is the hero. He's the hero of the woman with the bleeding. He's the hero of Jairus. He's the hero of Bartimaeus. He's the hero of the one who poured the perfume on him. She's anointing me for my burial. Look at what she's doing. And what would he do after his burial? He would rise again. Chapter 16, Jesus is the hero. He's got power over death. Jesus is the hero. Why am I saying this? Because if you're having a hard time trusting in Jesus right now, I want you to notice the Scripture points to him caring for his own, overcoming the grave, responding to those who cry out to him for mercy, he responds. He said, the one who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. That's heroic to me. That's heroic. Our Lord is the hero of the story, even though he's dead at this part of the story. When you have nowhere to go, where do you find hope? I hope it's in Christ. Listen, if you're struggling right now, it's because of timing, not of God's character. What I mean by that is, notice, like, I'm going through this difficulty. These people have done this to me. I've done this to myself. I'm in this situation. You're struggling, and it's a timing issue. Because if you're in Christ, He's going to bring you through that to a point of restoration and renewal and ultimately to glory so you're struggling not because he's bad you're struggling because sin is real and there's a curse and we feel it you're struggling because of a timing issue not a faithfulness of issue it's just about timing right now but the faithfulness of god remains that's why the psalmist said in psalm 39:7 where will i hope where will i hope and then he says this, my only hope is in you. Maybe, maybe you're going through a difficult time right now and it feels like death, it feels like darkness because it's meant to show you there's only one place for hope, there's only one person for hope, and it's Christ. Job loses family, loses property, has his wife tell him, curse God and die. His friends are saying, it's your fault somehow. And he says in Job thirteen fifteen. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. That's a hope beyond the grave. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. So maybe you can pray a simple prayer like this today. God, by your grace, I will follow you through this darkness and into light. By your grace, by your strength, by your power, I will follow you through this darkness and into light. Again, we see faithfulness in this passage from some followers of Jesus. And they're faithful, but he's the one with the power. He's the one who meets their needs. He's the one who overcomes the grave. He's the hero. Talk about following Christ on a dark day. One of the disciples who fled from Jesus when he was in that garden and betrayed and arrested, one of the disciples that fled saw Jesus, the resurrected Lord, and that bolstered his faith. The disciple is the disciple named Andrew. Andrew became a bold preacher of Christ after he met the resurrected Lord, and he preached against the Roman Empire, the same group Mark's audience was struggling with, the same group Jesus was executed by. He preached against the Roman Empire. One of the Roman governors made a decree that Everyone must bow the knee to Roman images, and Andrew went out publicly preaching that this should not be done. People should only bow to the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and so he was warned to stop preaching or else he'd be executed swiftly. And the Apostle Andrew said this, talk about following Christ on a dark day, how how much darker is it than if you say anything about Christ? you're going to be executed on a cross. Andrew said, I would not have preached the honor and glory of the cross if I feared the death of the cross. So, with that answer, he was then condemned to be crucified. On the way to the cross, it's been noted that the Apostle Andrew said this, O cross, most welcomed and longed for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously I come to you being the scholar of him which did hang on you because I've always been your lover and yearned to embrace you. He's yearning to embrace the same type of death that his Lord died. Why would Andrew say any of this? Because he knows that his master is alive and next week we'll see that his master is alive. So friends, If life seems dark, if things are challenging right now, notice these people right here following Jesus without the resurrection, following Jesus when He's dead and executed. But we have the next passage that shows us that He's alive. We can find hope, we can find strength, and it's available in Jesus Christ who loves to give it. Let's pray. Lord, You are so good, (laughs) even the fact that Your body is referred to as a corpse here is a sign of Your love for us. You went through that to reconcile sinners to Your Father. And so we pray to You, Lord Jesus, because You're alive. And so I'm asking You, if there are those here who seem hopeless, seem to be wandering about in darkness, are struggling so much. I pray that they'd take comfort in their brother, Joseph of Arimathea, and their sisters, these two women following Jesus. I pray that they'd take comfort in the empty tomb. I pray that they'd find a hope. Lord, so many of us have testimonies of being in difficult situations and by Your grace, somehow remaining faithful to You and then coming out through it with praise and worship on our lips and satisfaction in You. Would You grant us that today? Thank You for Your victory. Thank You that we are a people of the cross and the empty tomb. Thank You that we have victory in Your Son, Father. It's in His name we pray, amen.